The Productive Woman, Episode 331. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Well, welcome and thank you for joining me. In this episode, I am excited to launch our new for 2021 Productive Living series. As I mentioned in last week's episode, this will be a recurring series in which I talk with women who have special expertise or insight or experience in various areas that are important to us as women wanting to make a life that matters. We talked last week about the topics that we'll cover here, the areas such as health, relationships, money, mindset and self-care, homemaking and home management, creativity and fun. This week, we'll be looking at the other topical area, which is career. As I share with you my conversation with physician and life coach, Aaron Wiseman. You will find more information about Erin along with links to resources she recommends and the various ways you can connect with her online, all in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 331. And now let's get right into my conversation with Erin. I am delighted to introduce to the Productive Woman listeners, Erin Wiseman, D.O. Erin is a life coach, a speaker, and a fierce advocate for wellness in medicine. She faced professional burnout early in her own career and speaks openly about her story in order to help others, particularly female physicians and working moms, know that they're not alone. She lives and practices in rural southwestern Indiana, loves her roles as farmer's wife, athlete, and mother of three. And I've been looking forward to talking with her about how paying attention to our careers fits into our goal of making a life that matters. So welcome, Erin. Laura, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm just delighted that you can be here and so interested in hearing your advice on some of the things that we're going to talk about. Uh, I gave a little bit of an intro a little information about you, but maybe you could start by telling us a little more about who you are, what you do, whatever you think would be useful for us to know as we get into this conversation. Absolutely. I think probably the sentence that best sums me up is I'm a female physician that almost gave up medicine. I found myself in the utter pit of burnout in about 2014, when in actuality from the outside, it was supposed to be that I had summited the mountain. I had completed med school and residency. And during that time, I'd had two kids and we bought the house and we didn't have a white picket fence. But if we needed one, we would have had one at that point. So from the outside, it looked like I had it all. But internally, I was numb. Mm-hmm. And looking around and saying, oh, my God, is this going to be the next 30 years of my life? And I was ready to do absolutely anything so that I could feel better. Because at that point, I was like, I think I got gypped. I did all the things I was supposed to do, work hard, uh, be the Pinterest mom, be the typical Midwestern housewife. But why do I feel so bad? And it was through that journey, at first going to the point of like, am I broken? 
is there something wrong with me? Because I thought I followed all the rules. I thought I did all the things I was supposed to do to transitioning to, oh my God, if I'm broken, then how do I fix this? To looking around and realizing, oh my goodness, there's a bunch of other physicians who are feeling the same way. So what are we going to do about this? In the state of Indiana, we do have to report uh, mental health usage as a physician. And so I was really resistant to seeing a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but I knew I needed to talk to someone. And as I started looking around and doing what I told my patients not to do, I got on Google <laughs> and I literally wrote in there, how do we change my CV to a resume? Because again, I was done with medicine. I was six weeks in and I was absolutely crispy with burnout. And that is when I found a fellow physician who was doing this thing called entrepreneurial coaching. And I was like, hmm, as a prior college athlete, I know what a coach is in that aspect, but I wonder what an entrepreneurial, a business, a life coach is. And from the first time that I got on the phone with her, I felt like, oh my gosh, this, this is what I needed. And so going through the journey of coaching myself and really rooting through all the things that I had kind of been shoving in the closet for the last decade and a half, I realized, oh my God, so many other women need this too. We don't need to get to our breaking point where we're quitting and going saying it would be fine if I worked as a, in the checkout line at the grocery store. And so that was when I got on fire, I got coaches training, and I started my business as well. So that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, so it, I found that so interesting as we were introduced to each other and I, I started looking into your background f for t someone who is a physician, still practicing as a physician, right? Or am I wrong about that? No, I actually, through my journey and kind of going through all my stuff, I realized I really did love medicine. I just didn't love how I was practicing. And yeah. so through realignment, really rooting into the type of doctor I am, not just family medicine, but how I practice medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can successfully say that I, I love practicing medicine again. So, so a physician still practicing medicine, but also on the, uh, on the side, so to speak, coaching other professionals on dealing with professional burnout. And you've kind of explained how you got there, but I just find it fascinating that you are managing that, you know, two kind of different, but related professions, so to speak. And, and so I'm going to be real interested in how you're managing to do that. But before we get there, uh, I guess the, the purpose of our conversation today is I'm hoping you can help some of the rest of us with some of the things you've just talked about. So in your experience coaching other professionals on this topic, what are you seeing in other professional women as far as the symptoms of burnout and how, how we get there? What causes it? You know, everybody's journey is their own. And I think we all have a unique experience, but the common threads that I see that come through, especially with what I call alpha females, we are the ones that we take names, we get stuff done, is from an early age, we were empowered that we could be anything that we wanted to be mm. and more. But I don't know if I just missed the messaging or I wasn't told that, yeah, you can have have anything that you want, but you can't have everything at the same time. 
and that there would be a, a different percentage for which you could do those things. And I think I also did get the messaging that, hey, the goals, objectives, and the things that you want to accomplish when you're 18 are going to look totally different at 28 mm-hmm. and at 38 and at 48. Yeah. And that is okay. And that's normal. Because given my trajectory through medicine, I had to decide on that very early. And I kept to that same ideal of this is what I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to do it. Um, This is the quote unquote right thing to do. But believe it or not, after I had a few kids, I changed. Mm. Fundamentally, something inside of me changed. But I didn't let my goals, I didn't let my trajectory change. Because to me, kids, marriage, fun, that was all something on the checklist that I was going to get to do and check off at some point. But what I realized is with all those things, no, that's that's actually what life is about. And it's once I started leaning into that, and I think that's where a lot, a lot of other professional women's, it's like, oh, change is okay. It's normal. Nothing has gone wrong here. That we then give ourselves the permission Um, to say, maybe I don't want to be a CEO of a major um, hospital organization and be a a physician leader like I once planned to be. Mm. And that's okay. Yeah. So I talk about some different ways to recognize burnout. You know, there's the formal diagnosis, um, which is like increased feelings of cynicism, sense of ineffectiveness and emotional exhaustion. But I want to really break these down into the words that I hear falling out of people's mouth, which is, I feel trapped. I'm anxious. I'm overwhelmed. I feel hopeless. I'm frustrated. I just want to quit my job. I'm just so tired. No amount of naps or melatonin or taking a day off is helping me. And then externally, what I see in people is what I call the walking zombie syndrome. And that's when you pass somebody out in the hallway and they just look like they have no light behind their eyes or they're so focused on their phone that they almost run into the doors. I see people who post online about, oh, my God, it's Sunday night again. And I, I, I just don't, I can't even imagine. I just feel horrible, you know, the Sunday dreads. Or if you're planning your next vacation while you're on vacation. <laughs> And through COVID, some of these actually change when people were saying like, yeah, I I hope I get quarantined so I can stay home from work. Mm. Those are all signs of and symptoms of burnout. Yeah. And it's interesting. I'm I'm nodding my head as you're listing these things off because uh, those those certainly are not unique to medical professionals. I, I can recognize all of those things in you know, myself at various times and my other colleagues as lawyers and probably any profession, all those things can apply. And, uh, those of us who worked hard to, to get the education we needed and get the position that we wanted, and then are finding ourselves dreading going to work every day, uh, for, for whatever reason, you know, because we're exhausted, we're trying to do everything and do everything perfectly and not giving ourselves a whole lot of leeway uh, to do, to do anything other than that. Absolutely. And that's where I have to come to the realization that I was made more to just work, pay bills and die. Mm -hmm. 
like there was more that I was put on this earth to do, but the path that I was on, that was exactly what I was doing. And I love that you brought up the word perfection because again, I think that fits exactly in the alpha female stereotype. You don't go into law. You don't go into engineering. You don't go into tech and not be a perfectionist. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. You don't want a doctor who's not somewhat of a perfectionist (laughs) operating on you, handing you medications, managing your health issues. And the same goes for all of these other high-level professional careers. But perfectionism isn't evidently a bad thing. There's a huge amount of literature right now that's talking about adaptive versus maladaptive perfectionism. Mm. And let me tell you, my mind was blown a couple of years ago when I started getting into this that I realized like, oh, perfectionism can actually be my superpower and not my kryptonite that I fight against all the time. But what happens is, I don't know about you in, in your studying life, but at some point I started pushing myself harder to stay up later, to study more, to get more accomplished. And that paid off. So it's kind of like Pavlov's dog. Success, you push a little harder. More success, you push a little harder. But what we don't realize, though, is that we get ourselves into a very pathological cycle of maladaptive perfectionism, saying, like, I'm the only one that can get this done. If I want it done right and if I want it done perfect, then it has to only be done by me. Um, Things become very binary, very, very black and white without any gray. And what we do is we almost paint ourselves into a corner. When instead, if we use our perfectionism as a superpower and we use it in in adaptive traits to say, I can do this well, but I can also work well with others. I can teach others how to do this as well. Or instead of only being focused on the outcome, what about the journey along the way? Or a big one for me as a recovering perfectionist is not viewing my shortcomings as failure but seeing this feedback Mm. for the next time. Mm. Yeah, that's so important. Uh, And, and I think a lot of us that fit into the category of person you're talking about have, have trouble with that. We, we have a hard time accepting that we can't do everything perfectly. Or if, if a mistake is made or whatever, we, we feel like that reflects on our, our character and our value as a human being. Absolutely. When instead, if we look at it, perfection is never attainable. It's just a concept in our mind. Because even if you think you did do something perfect, who knows? Five years later, maybe we may be doing a totally different um, system of use. Like I I don't prescribe medicines that I used to prescribe 10 years ago. Why? Because we realize with more data and more information that that's not the right thing to do. So I think we have to realize that as we set up these imaginary cages around ourselves of like, it has to be perfect, um, that we also learn self-compassion. And that's another huge light bulb moment in my life when I was like, oh, I can actually be kind to myself. I can actually experience feelings and not just shove them in the closet and repress them. I can acknowledge that everybody feels like this sometimes. And still succeed and still be a good doctor. And I think that's so, so important. So I don't know if you know the work of Dr. Kristen Neff, but it's an amazing book um, on self-compassion. And she's actually done 
several TED Talks and online interviews that she talks about this. And integrating self-compassion into our lives, I think is crucial for us high-achieving women. Because again, for so long, we've been in maladaptive traits where we just kind of are mean to ourselves. And then the mean girl gets a little louder and a little louder and a little louder. And pretty soon, that's the only voice in our head. And the things that we say to ourselves, we would never say to our best friend, our children, our beloved pet. But yet that is the internal dialogue that is screaming at us day after day after day. And it's amazing that that voice that's screaming at us, it eventually starts popping out of our mouth. I never wanted to be the yelly mom. I never wanted to be the mom that the neighbors were like, oh, my God, do you hear what's happening at the Wiseman household? (laughs) But what I realized is when I'm not compassionate to myself, that toxicity spews over into the people who are closest to me as well. So I know that if there is a lot of yelling going on in my house or if there is a lot of negative talk going on, the first place I need to look at is how am I treating myself? And is that coming from an overflow? Yeah. And I think that 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 whole concept of being kind and extending grace to yourself and, and all the things you were just talking about, when we don't do that, it certainly is going to contribute to burnout in, in any area of our life, whatever profession. And and I think this is going to apply whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, a stay-at-home mom, we can burn out in whatever our chosen field is uh, for any number of reasons. But but being unkind to ourselves and expecting more of ourselves than is reasonable for a human being is certainly, I would think, going to contribute to that burnout and all those symptoms that you talked about earlier. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one thing that COVID brought to light is that so many people for so long have been juggling the place and being like, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. But then when it took one catechismic shift, and it was like, oh, we're not okay. And so, yeah, I think burnout is uh, just such a huge issue all over the country. And it it happens. And when it happens, we blame it on our work many times. But I'll be perfectly honest. If I start working with people, they start recognizing it in more just their workplace. So let me tell you. If it was just about quitting your job and getting a new job, then I would be out of work. Mm. There would be no coaching for me to do. Mm. But the thing is, you take yourself no matter where you go. And so it's actually that deeper inner work. So that raises the question, if we are experiencing burnout and, you know, the symptoms that you described earlier, if we're recognizing that in ourselves or we already knew we were burnt out and, and we're thinking, okay, yeah, I'm going to quit my job and do something else. And that's not the answer. You just told us quitting your job is not going to solve the problem. What can we do to, to sort of recover from burnout or, Uh, Well, let's start with that. If we're at that place, what's the answer? If if quitting my job and doing something else is not going to solve the problem, what are the steps I should take in order to solve the problem? Yeah. I call myself a burnout and transition coach. And one of the first things I do when someone comes to me, they say exactly that. You are not quitting your job tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a pinky promise swear that we do with each other. Now I tell them, that doesn't mean that you're not going to quit your job eventually. You're just not quitting your job tomorrow. 
Um, and so that's what I want to encourage listeners is to, it's not a forever. It's just not a right now, because the first thing that you want to do is that if you heard me talk about that list and you felt like that in your soul, you've just had like an awakening moment. Mm -hmm. And I congratulate you for that because for me, it took several of those before I finally said, yes, raise my hand. This is me. (laughs) So that awareness of being like, oh, this is what's going on is so crucial to start the journey. Because if you keep sticking your head down in the sand and say, it's going to get better, it's going to get better and not change anything, you're not ready. So having that awareness point is first. Second, I tell people, choose your hard. And what I mean by that is life is hard. It mm-hmm. is. Whoever told me that if I just work hard, things will work out, they like <laughs> It's hard no matter what you do. And so I encourage people to choose your hard. Choose the hard of staying put, of being tired, of being overwhelmed, of being at your wit's end, of being the woman who cries on the end of her bed on Sunday nights because she knows she's got to pack up and get kids to the daycare by six o'clock so she can get to the office. Or choose your hard of saying, no matter what it takes, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out what's going on inside of me. I'm going to figure out what's going on around me. And I'm going to use the courage that I don't yet have to make some courageous action. Because no matter what you choose, It's going to be hard, but intentionally pick which one you're doing. And then the next thing from that, I think, is to gather community. We were not built to be self-contained units. As human beings, we have this essential need of community. And again, I think that's something that COVID really brought to light, is that there are people who need other people. And guess what? Through the beauty of the internet, you can find your people. Because if you're like me, the only female physician in her county in southern Indiana, there was nobody to go out to coffee with or to have lunch with or to invite over to talk about these things. So intentionally reaching out and finding people who align with you, who get you, who understand the struggle that you're going through and say, hey, we're just not here to complain about it. We're here to change it and to put action around it is powerful. Because you are not alone. You are not the only person feeling this. You're probably not the only type of person in your profession who has these emotions. And I think it's so important to build that community around you. Because research shows the five people who you hang out with the most are the habits and the lifestyle that you're going to reflect. Mm -hmm. And so if you hang out with negative Nancy, guess what? You're probably going to have a lot of negative Nancy spewing out of your mouth. But if you can find the movers, the shakers, the women who aren't going to take it from nobody because they've realized that, yes, I can have my cake and eat it too. I just have to learn balance. I have to learn boundaries. I have to learn about my perfectionism and how to leverage it. Those are your people and that will help you change your life. I love it. Yeah, I I agree 100%, especially with that second one. I, I mean, it's it's funny, we're, we're, we're talking about things that I've sort of talked about over the last six years on this podcast, the importance of first of all, of awareness, recognizing where you are, what what your situation is, and 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 then intentionality making intentional purposeful choices. But 
third and, and equally important, building that community and finding that support that you need. So, you know, when I was looking at your website and some of the things that you've talked about in the past, you, you refer to, and I forget where I saw this on your site, but having a, a joy filled and sustainable career. I, I, I want to know from your perspective, from the research you've done and from what you know, is burnout inevitable for women who are pursuing a professional career and building a family? Or is there hope that we as women can have a joy filled and sustainable career and family? I think for me, and now this is me just retrospectively looking back, I think burnout was inevitable for me because I didn't have a trusted mentor. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have a community of women around me. So it was like, no, 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 no. You don't have to grind. Like you can still be a high achieving, kick butt, take names, get stuff done woman who loves her kids and fights for them fiercely. I just, I didn't have that. So for me, I think I inevitably was going to burn out no matter if I picked law or medicine or academia. Um, But for those who are hearing this now, those who are aware, I absolutely, absolutely believe that you can have a professional career, you can have your family, um, and you can have that joy-filled life. And what I would recommend that you do with that is to sit down and put down all, all the things that you thought life was going to be. And then I want you to look at that list and say, does this to do with align with what is really, truly valuable to me? Because again, I had the checklist that I was going to medicine check, 2.5 kids checking check, car, van, paid off, student loans, home, you know, all that check, check, check. But what I didn't take the time to do is to say, like, but are these the most important things? Because joy doesn't come from achievement. That's just like a fleeting mm-hmm. kick of dopamine that hits our brain whenever we get a trophy or an add a girl or a new plaque. I think true joy is leaning into our values and what and who we value and giving them precedence and priority. So yeah, I think we can have a joyful life. And as far as a sustainable career, I really, really emphasize that that goes back to, again, understanding what your work like, what your work looks like when you're in the middle of your flow and when you're in the middle of that, you know what I'm talking talking about when you're you're doing work and like time just passes and you're like oh my gosh this has been so much fun uh when can we do this again that is going to be sustainable for you versus the soul sucking you feel like every minute is crawling by you're checking the 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 clock on how quick it's moving that's not sustainable and those are the things that we really need to be intimately looking at and being like, oh, so I need less of that in my life and more of the flow in my life. And then advocating for ourselves in the workplace. And that first comes with establishing and understanding boundaries. Yeah. Gosh, I was not good at this. <laughs> this is like an Aaron Wiseman tell-all. But for so long, it was like, 
Oh, we need you to see one more patient. Of course I will do that. Okay. Would you trade call? Of course I will do that. Oh, now it's the holiday and such and such wants to go see their family. Would you, would you take that without a trade? Of course I would do that. And what I realized I was conforming my boundaries so much. I was saying yes to so many other people that that meant I was saying no to me and mine. So I think part of the sustainable career is really identifying where's our passion in our work, setting up the boundaries to keep said passion in our lives. And then the last thing, trusting yourself. Now, I'm a total science, math, data nerd. Not going to lie with that. So when people started talking about intuition and inner knowing, I was like, "Mm -mm, nope, Mm -hmm. leaving here. No woo in my life. But what I realized when I started leaning into the woo, when I started leaning into those little intuitions, which I did with patients sometimes, I would be sitting in a room and I'm like, "Mm, this doesn't make sense. And I would ask maybe a different question or um, add add a different lab that I hadn't really thought of. And I'll be dang, you know, that's what popped up and that's the direction we needed to go in. And so I just put that out for other people. Start trusting yourself. Start listening to that inner knowing and that intuition because mm-hmm. she's a smart bee, let me tell you. Yeah. And she's not going to let you wrong. But it's so hard as a very analytical person who her entire life was told to look at numbers. In fact, something like this that I couldn't 100% always yeah. quantify, it made me scared. But I'm telling you, if you start listening, you get some amazing messages. Yeah, I think that's so important because we, we, all of us tend to kind of question our own intuition, our own judgment when it goes against or seems to go against the conventional wisdom or the way things are done in our particular profession. Uh, when that's, when it's not working for us, we assume there's something wrong with us and not with, you know, that approach or that conventional wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? What I really found, and this is just, again, my experience is, though it may have seemed wrong, it was right for me. Yeah. And at the end of my life, it's not going to be those people that were in the office, not probably going to be the patients, it's not going to be the work colleagues who show up. Mm -hmm. It's going to be those that value me most. It's going to be my family. Ultimately, that's who I want to live my life for. Yeah, that's so, so important to keep in mind. So Aaron, we, I mentioned earlier how kind of fascinated I am with how you are practicing as a physician, but also you have this other business coaching professional women and you have a family. So you obviously have a lot on your plate. Are there any particular tools you like or resources you recommend for managing your various roles and commitments and staying sane? Because I think that's an important part of, of either getting out of or avoiding burnout is being able to sort of manage the things that you're doing. So on a very practical level, how do you do that? What are the, the tools you like, the resources that work for you? Okay. The first thing is you don't have to do it all. Mm-hmm. No is a complete sentence. And I think that is so crucial for everyone to to hear is that I don't have to do it all. Yeah, maybe 
my grandma thinks I need to do such and such or the PTO at school or whatever. But at the end of the day, what is it that I want to do? What is it that I need? What is it that my family wants to do? What is it that they need? Teaching them how to communicate that because my kids are nine, seven and almost five. And then communicating about it and recognizing that we can't do it all, but we can do some. Mm-hmm. And so one is not filling your plate up to start with. Mm-hmm. Two is learning the art of delegation. So I use a model and I'll have to send you a picture or anyone can Google it online. It's called the Eisenhower matrix mm-hmm. and essentially ask two questions. Is this important? And is this urgent? And so if you say yes to both those questions, then you do it. Whatever that thing is, you just get it done. It's important and it's urgent. If it is important, but not urgent, schedule it. If it is not important, but urgent, then you delegate it. Mm-hmm. You find somebody else to take care of that for you. Be it um, school pickup, be it running something to the post office, picking up groceries, delegating in your work life. It's, if it's not important to you and it does not require your personal touch, then there is someone who is very capable who can do it for you. And really empowering the ones that you love around you to take care of their own stuff too. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important that we empower our children so that we don't helicopter parent them. So that they know, oh, I can do these things. I can get a banana off the counter. I don't have to scream at mom every time I need food when she's downstairs recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and so learn the art of delegation both formally and informally in our setting. And the last thing that I love is if something is not important and it is not urgent, then you delete it. Yeah. It does not need to take a place in your life because it's not important and it's not urgent. Which comes to my next point. I think it's crucial for every mother to confront her mom guilt. Mm. The I should be, or I'm supposed to, or the right thing is. Those are all messages that we've written on our invisible rule book somewhere inside of our head because someone told us that or someone displayed that action to us or we've seen it in other examples. But really, if you're saying I should, I'm supposed to, the right thing to do is, I would ask you to question that and say, like, is that the absolute 100% truth? Yeah. Is this what everyone does? And most of the time, actually all the time, no, it's not. And remembering, too, and this goes back to the self-compassion piece, that it's okay. This is hard, and you don't have to do it the exact same way. And so I had a lot of mom guilt. I'll be perfectly honest. I had my first son, my intern year in residency. I barely remember anything. If it wasn't for my husband's cell phone and Shutterfly, I don't think I would have too many memories whatsoever of his first year of life. And so that left me just stricken with mom guilt that I wasn't around for my child, that I was busy being uh, an intern running around in the hospital and in the office. And what I had to do is to really sit with that and say, what's under this? What's under this guilt that's nagging me, that's bubbling up? And, and what I realized, it was from a lack of a need. Mm. I really wanted to be there. I wanted to step in that. But because of the choices and the decisions I made for my career, it wasn't a possibility at, my, at that time. So now, 
I remind myself, I do have that control. And if the mom guilt is starting to creep up, I ask again, what is the underlying need that's not being met here? And I look into it super closely. So one for me is I do telemedicine. I do my coaching, pretty much everything from home. I do a little bit of inpatient care right now. But so I get a lot of mom guilt about sending my kids away. So one of the solutions that I found is instead of them sending them off, you know, someone else is like, why don't I hire someone and they take care of the children in the house? So between calls or if I have a long break, you can just pop upstairs and interact with them, do something fun, help them with their homework, and still be participating in the parenting. Mm. And you know what? No more mom guilt because I recognize that need and then took some action around it. Yeah. I love that. It's something that I often say with uh, either on the podcast or with people that I'm working with uh, coaching is when you're feeling overwhelmed in your various roles, and this goes back to the whole issue of if you're heading toward burnout, one question to ask yourself is listing all the things you're doing or need to do or think you need to do in each of those roles, looking at each of them very intentionally and saying, A, does this need to be done at all? So this kind of goes along with, you know, the questions you were asking in the Eisenhower matrix, does this need to be done at all? If not, cross it off the list. But then the next question is, does it have to be done by me? What are the things I'm doing that only I can do? I'm the only one who can record my podcasts. I am the only one who can be Mike's wife, you know, but there are a lot of things, pieces of the podcasting world, pieces of my legal profession, pieces of the, you know, running the household that other people can do if I'm willing to let them go. Yes. And not making up even more drama and stories about what that means about you. Oh yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Someone cleans my house and folds my laundry. That must mean I'm not a good housekeeper or um, take care of my family. No, it just means I don't want to scrub toilet (laughs) and I need help with the huge amount of laundry that goes through my washing machine. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing too is because too many times that's where the mom guilt creeps in as well is, is the stories that we make up around that. And so recognizing and getting out of what I call the thought tornadoes, being like, whoa, 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 what's at the heart of this? what's in the center of this and and where am I conflating it? Cause we all do. Yeah, absolutely. We all do. Yep. Absolutely. Well, that so much good information there. I want to ask you something as we sort of um, start to wrap this up because I'm realizing I'm taking a lot of your time today. There's a question I have asked every guest who's ever been on the Productive Woman podcast that I want to ask you too, because I think we can all learn from, from this. And that is, you know, you've obviously put a lot of thought into this issue of burnout, career burnout, and how to overcome it or get past it. You've got systems in place, tools in place to manage the various things that you're doing. But even with all that, do you ever have a day when it just, when it all gets away from you or you get just completely stressed out and overwhelmed? And if so, what do you do to get back on track? Oh, I love this question so much when you, you send it to me because it's real. It's hashtag real life. Yeah. And in order to show up and be authentic, I can say, yeah, 
yeah, that, that definitely happens. I can also say too, like the burnout coach almost burned out again, <laughs> building the business. So I want to normalize the experience to say, it's not like you're fixed, quote unquote fixed. And then you just go about your life in a merry way that no, like things come up and doesn't mean anything has gone wrong here. So a couple of the things that I do when life just gets away from me is I really step back and I honestly, I pull up my Google calendar and I'm like, okay, Aaron, you know, you're an overworker. You know that you push it to the red zone. So let's look at your calendar. How much are you working? How much are you sleeping? How much are you taking time to yourself to replenish and rejuvenate? How much white space do you have built in your day? And white space is that just living life, having fun. It doesn't have to be productive or purposeful. And usually I can look at it and be like, oh, this is what's going on. I have shoved it to the gills and then tucked things around the edges. And so what I do to get myself back on track is start getting things off the schedule. I talk with my team and I'm like, all right, what do we need to move? What do we need to push? Because there are very, very, very few things, and you're talking to a doctor as well, that must take place at that certain time, at that certain place. Mm -hmm. Almost everything can be rescheduled. And so I've had to do that at times and say, like, listen, the next two weeks are just too crazy. We've got to dilute it out. Can you please contact people and see if we can bump it and move it? Same thing goes with kids' activities. There's times, and mine are still relatively young, but before COVID, one kid would need to be in one place and another kid would be in another place. And I just realized that that wasn't healthy for me. And I asked my oldest one to say, what is the most important thing that you would like me to attend? Because I can't come to soccer and basketball and choir and 4-H. And so let's really sit down and let's look at our priorities. What is most important for mom to be there? And we'll make sure someone's there. And that's where I really appreciate having my team, my husband, um, family, people we are not blood family, but that we consider family to bring them in, kind of our village to help raise everyone and help teach them priorities. And the other thing that I do when I get really stressed out and really overwhelmed and really just knocked off the track is I give myself 24 hours. I give myself 24 hours to feel all the feelings, to not react not to send the email back, <laughs> not to get stressed out and, um, you know, start going through all the paperwork and trying to figure out in that moment, but 24 hours to really sit in it. Because what I found out is that if I rush to action, if I rush to changing, if I rush to doing things, then I don't give myself the time and the space to process those feelings, to remember that self-compassion saying, this is hard. And all people feel this sometimes. And it is okay to feel like this. Mm. And recognize that feelings don't last forever. But they will come back if we keep repressing them. and really working through that. And then after that 24 hours, I say, Aaron, it's time to get back in the saddle. What's the first most important thing you must do with this? And that's where I start. Yeah, I love that approach. I I think it is so important to give ourselves time to to feel whatever the feelings are, to recognize that the feelings don't mean there's something wrong with you as a human being. Um, before 
going on to taking action and, and recognizing that I think one of the things that, that is good about having reached the age that I've reached is I've been around the block enough times to know that when I'm feeling my worst, whether it's overwhelm or whatever, there's still a little part of my brain at least that remains sane enough to say, you know what, I've felt this way before it, I will not always feel this way. It will get better. Yeah, I think it's so important. I think it's important, too, to do something that gets you out of your head. Yeah. Be it go move your body or take a walk, do a meditation, something that gets you out of your brain. Because just as the heart beats, the brain has thoughts. We will never not have thoughts. Yeah. It just it's not going to happen. It's just like your heart will never stop beating until it does. And then when it does, it does. Yeah. And so the other thing, too, is our body was made for feeling. Think about it. You know, mm -hmm. all of our senses located and where they're at. And so one thing I really like to do is go for a walk, but don't put in earbuds. Don't distract myself from the walk, but to try to use all of my senses when I'm out on that walk and engage them. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I like to do after I've kind of like, oh, I hear the birds. I see the clouds. Oh, my neighbor put up Christmas lights. I can feel the crunchy of the rock under my feet is to really pay attention to my feet. And why I do that? Because it's the furthest point away from your brain. <laughs> so you're getting as far away from your head as absolutely possible. And just really thinking about how the ground feels under your feet. If you've got shoes on, how your shoes are feeling it, how the socks are in your, you know, even take your shoes off and walk around and see how that feels. And it's amazing that just like three to five minutes, and of this, I guess you could call it walking meditation. I don't know. But really just paying attention to the bottom of your feet, how much it clears out your head. Hmm. Yeah, because, you know, as, as I'm thinking about it, you literally are grounding yourself by, by doing that, by, because that is where you are connected to the ground. Absolutely. Without getting all, like I told you before, I'm a little woo, but I'm not real woo. <laughs> but this is what works for me. Yeah. I love it. So Aaron, where can people connect with you online if they want to, um, you know, if they've got a question, want to learn more about what you're doing, uh, where's the best place for them to find you? I love LinkedIn. So you can find me at Aaron Wiseman DO. I think it is such a cool space to be in for connection, for information sharing. It doesn't feel as loud and boisterous as other social media sites. So yeah, come find me over at LinkedIn. And because they're listening to your podcast, I'd encourage them to pop over to couple of my podcasts. So my first one is Dr. Me First. It's the one that I've had the longest. It was initially started because, like I mentioned, I was the only female doctor in my county. And I needed to talk to my people. Mm. And what it has transformed into is an inspiring, encouraging place to tell stories to um, talk about real life issues that are happening and to really reveal that we're in this all together. And my new upcoming podcast, which I'm super excited about to be launching in 2021, is called Burnt Out to Badass. And this is where I am sharing stories of other women from totally different employment backgrounds than myself about their burnout stories mm. and how they've navigated through it and come out on the other side. Because again, like we mentioned in this conversation, burnout is not a unilateral one, one profession issue. Yeah. We are all feeling it. And I think all together we can heal. Yeah. 
that's great. And I will be sure that we put links to those in the show notes for this episode. So if somebody's driving and can't write it down, uh, you'll be able to find links to both uh, Erin's LinkedIn page and her podcast there. Before we go, I want to ask you to, to think about this. Many, maybe most of the women who listen to the Productive Woman podcast are looking for a little help and encouragement and, and getting things done and making a life that matters as they define it. Thinking about how career and the things we've been talking about today fit into that objective. Do you have any last words for that listener who might be just looking for a little word of advice or a little bit of encouragement? I would say, girlfriend, you are not alone. And also, the things that you are dreaming and desiring can be possible. If it's only me telling you this, I want you to know. Six years ago, I was dreaming of having a life that in the mornings I would jump up out of bed and be excited about and that I could go to work in yoga pants. And let me tell you, I have made it happen. So any desires that are within you, any thoughts that you have, they are valid and they are yours. Thank you so much, Erin. I think uh, all of us can take that to heart. Thank you for taking time to, to talk with me today for the benefit of the whole community. Well, I really enjoyed talking with Erin, and I am so thankful to her for taking time to share her insight and encouragement to help us make the most of our lives this year. A couple of my key takeaways from our conversation are on the issue of burnout, that uh, it really struck me when she said that if we're feeling burnt out, if we're, we're kind of at that point, quitting our job is not the answer. Uh, I love that she shared other steps we can take to first address the burnout and, and maybe quitting the job will be part of that process, but it's not the answer. It won't solve the problem. And I love that she also said that one of the first steps is finding a supportive community. That's certainly been the case for me, knowing that there were other like-minded women that I could talk to about my professional burnout or, or concerns or frustrations really made a difference for me and continues to. I also appreciated how she talked kind of at the beginning about how our goals, priorities, and objectives can change over the course of time and that that's okay, that we should give ourselves permission to make a change and not feel guilty if the goal or objective or, you know, in this case, career that we were so committed to 10 years ago or five or, or one year no longer serves us, no longer appeals to us. And that the amount of time, energy, or money we have invested in getting to where we are today shouldn't make us feel bound to stay where we are if we have changed and our, our goals and priorities have changed. I, I was really encouraged by that and, and kind of inspired. I was fascinated with uh, the concept she talked about of the difference between adaptive and maladaptive perfectionism. 
And that perfectionism, as she put it, can be a superpower if it leads us to doing excellent work, putting in the effort that's necessary to achieve the good things uh, that are important to us professionally or, frankly, in any other area of our life. So that's good. But we should also recognize that actual perfection is not attainable. And if in striving for perfection, we fall prey to the misconception, for instance, that I have to do it all myself because only I can do it right, that's maladaptive perfectionism and that leads to burnout. And finally, I really appreciated her reminder of how crucial it is to, as she put it, integrate self-compassion into our lives as high-achieving women. So lots of great food for thought coming from Erin, and uh, I'm, I'm so happy to be able to share it with you. But I wonder, what do you think? What are your biggest takeaways from my conversation with Erin and the things that she had to say? I'd love to hear from you on that. You can share your takeaways or any questions that you might have based on the conversation in the comments section of the show notes for this episode, which you will find at theproductivewoman.com slash 331. Or you can post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page or in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group if you're there. Also in the show notes at theproductivewoman.com slash 331, that's where you're going to find links to uh, any of the resources that Erin mentioned or how you find her if you want to reach out to her. As always, if you prefer to share your thoughts with me privately, you can email your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com, and I would love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, if you are looking forward as much as I am to the coming conversations in this Productive Living series, let me know. I'd love to hear from you about that as well. And if you find value in the Productive Woman podcast, whether this, this episode or any others, I would appreciate it if you'd help me spread the word. The best way you can sort of give back to me if you appreciate the work that we do here is to tell a friend, let others know if you know someone, a, a woman or a man for that matter, who you think would appreciate and gain value from the things we talk about on this podcast, uh, tell her or him how to find it, show them how to, uh, locate it in Apple podcasts or whatever podcast aggregator you listen through. You can share this episode or any other that you really like by using the social sharing buttons that you'll find at the top of the show notes on the website. And you can also leave a review in Apple Podcasts or, you know, Stitcher or anywhere else that you find where, wherever you happen to listen to The Productive Woman. On that point, I want to say a special thank you to Amy from Minneapolis, who recently left a, a five-star review of The Productive Woman podcast in Apple Podcasts. And she said, I love the Productive Woman podcast. It brings me tractable, actionable ideas each week. Laura's approach is kind, constructive, and hopeful to help busy women reach their goals. And I was uh, very touched by that. I appreciate that. So Amy, um, if you're listening, thank you for that kind review. 
I think that's it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and with Erin. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found something in it that's encouraging or helpful or that you can put into action in your own life this week. I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. Mm -hmm.